0: Williams goes down the lane
1: to lay it in, Duke can no longer stop the clock, 53-5 to go,
0: it's an eight-point lead, they need a miracle.
2: They need a miracle. TV announcer Mike Patrick had no idea how prophetic those words would be. Welcome to episode three of Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devils. I'm your host, Jason Evans. I spoke to every single member of that 2001 Duke team, asking them to reflect on the big moments and the little behind-the-scenes memories that made up that year, a year that would end with them hoisting a national championship trophy. On this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into a game that has come to be known as the Miracle Minute. But first, let's set the stage. Duke came into the season as the number two team in the land, behind only Arizona. The Blue Devils won their first 10 games, rising to the number one ranking before dropping a one-point loss to Stanford just days before Christmas. Duke shrugged that off and won their next eight games, standing at 18-1 and as they prepared for an eagerly anticipated matchup with the Maryland Terrapins on January 27th. Maryland was ranked number eight in the country and had won 13 of their previous 14 games. And as Duke big man Carlos Boozer told me, the two teams were a really great matchup.
0: Yeah, this is at Maryland. Oh, I got a lot to say about this. So, we, listen, they're very good. Okay, let me, let me be quite, very frank. And this is no disrespect to the rivalry between Duke and Carolina and the, hist- and the history of that um, rivalry And I mean, that's half the reason why all of us wanted to go to Duke anyway, was to be a part of something greater than us, that Duke UNC, it it spans the test of time. It is not about one player, not about one coach. It's just about two of the titans of college basketball competing every year. But I'm not trying to disrespect them. What I'm trying to say is, the three years that I spent at Duke, our biggest rival was Maryland Terrapins. They were just as talented as we were. They were very good. They were very well-coached. They were very disciplined. And to be honest, that was was a much tougher game for us than Carolina. Not saying that we didn't have tough games against Carolina. I'm not disrespecting them. Again, I respect our opponent. But we went seven and eight. I played them eight times in three years. Me, Jay Will, Dunleavy, uh, Casey Sanders, Andre Buckner, Nick Horvath. Our freshman year to our junior year, we played Carolina eight times. We won seven times. That's very dominant, in my, in my opinion. So put that aside. Uh, our, our toughest opponent was the Maryland Terrapins. They knew it. We knew it. We matched up very well. We had very similar, like Steve Blake, phenomenal point guard, right? Chris Duhan, phenomenal point guard. Juan Dixon, phenomenal score. Jay Will, phenomenal score, right? Uh, Shane Battier. Do a little bit of everything at a very high level. Terrence Morris. Do a little bit of everything at a very high level. Lonnie Baxter. Paint eater, dominator in the paint. Carlos Boozer. Paint dominator, like dominant in the paint. We were very similar. They had a Chris Wilcox. We had a Mike Dunleavy. Two different guys, but two huge roles, right? So Gary Williams, championship coach. Coach K, championship There's just a lot of similarities at that time between the two schools, that's how I feel. I don't know what my my teammates said, but that's how I felt about the two
2: rivalries. And the similarities between those two teams made for a great rivalry. Here's Shane Battier. Maryland, for my money,
3: I'll probably catch grief for this, but in my four years, Maryland was was a bigger rival to us than Carolina. the battles that we had with Maryland were epic. There was no love lost between the Terrapins and us. We didn't like those guys. So they did not like us. You know, I think it went, went uh, it held true for the fans as well. And so, you know, going back, whether it was playing Steve Francis, and you know, being a Kesey and Le'Ron Prophet in my early years to playing Terrence Morris and Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, they had so many great players. And, you know, obviously Hall of Fame coach and Gary Williams and they were a really good team. And they, you know, we would never admit that they were our rival because all they wanted to say is, yeah, the Dukes are our rival. We, we treated them like, no, you're not our rival. Carolina's our rival. Just, just to just kind of piss them off. And uh, it, was, it was epic. Every time that we played Maryland, we knew it was going to be a really tough game.
2: I promise we're going to get to the game itself in just a little bit, but there is some perspective you need to understand what was happening during this game. Again and again, as I spoke to members of the 2001 Duke team about Maryland, I heard about the visceral hatred from the Maryland fans. Here's Duke's Andy Borman.
1: Yeah, they they were our rival. You know, um, you know, I know everybody wants it to be Duke Carolina. You know, but when I was there you know, Duke Carolina was the fans rivalry, but Duke Maryland was the players rivalry. You know, they, they didn't like us. We didn't like them. And they were really good too. You know, they, they were really, really talented and and they were blue collar and they were tough as nails. And, you know, when we went to Carolina, you know, they would boo us. But when we went to Maryland, they hated us. You know, you could just hear it. You know, they, they hated, they, hated us to a T they didn't, they didn't hate one player. They hated everything we stood for, you know? So, you know, going to Maryland, you know, like you just knew this is going to be a fight, a fight. Some of the things they would say, you know, like, man, I'm not even playing. Why are you yelling at me? You know (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm the last man on the bench like leave me alone you know so um you know going there you know we kind of had what they wanted you know we we had you know culture we had championships we had history you know we, we we had you know, everything they wanted, and, and and they didn't want to share it with us. They wanted to take it from us, you know, which is fine, you know, because we weren't going to back down. So it was, it was a war.
2: Senior co-captain J.D. Simpson echoed those comments. Maryland fans were brutal, and their stadium Cole Fieldhouse was not a fun place to play.
4: Yeah, uh, well, let me make one disclaimer first. It's a travesty that Maryland is no longer in the ACC. Um, it just is like so disappoints me. But Cold Fieldhouse was just horrible to play at. It was it was brutal. It must be like what Cameron is like for opposing players. You they have this shitty fucking locker room that sucks, you know, and this like little tunnel. It's all on purpose, right? You you get it. They could have a not little. They could have a nice little locker room. It's no big deal. You know, showers suck. Um, you know, it feels like a you know nineteen seventy five like prep school locker room or something. I don't know. It just it was horrible. Or like a, some like military lock. I don't know. It's terrible. And you walk out of this little tunnel and you're kind of under the basket and then you're just inundated with fans. Um, and their fans are just insane. They're great fans. Um, Really are, uh, you know, for Maryland, they're just they're 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 rabid, and we had such a a kind of um, real a real rivalry. I mean, next to Carolina, they were by far our biggest rivals, um, and so it's just a heavy place to play. They're 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 brutal.
2: I know it, it may start to feel like a broken record, but here's Duke's Ryan Calbeck with more on how unruly and even violent it got. When you played in coalfield House
5: people won't believe um, the stories of what those like they, they you know I'll, I'll tell you, and I, I won't hold back, but like some of the stuff is in 2020 really hard to believe that there was not more security more uh, more of a crackdown on the crowd, et cetera. I remember in coalfield House. Um, and I don't remember when in the game this happened, so I apologize. But I remember looking up in the stands and being scared at what I saw was being thrown. And it wasn't one thing being thrown. It was like a wave of things being thrown at the players, at the, um, the family section. Um, it was just astounding. And I think other players since said that they got hit with batteries and whatnot. But I mean, it was, it was like the type of thing that you read about in like, you know, soccer games in Europe or South America where it just looks like lawless it just looks amazing um it was scary it was it was it was a time scary the crowd gets really into it which I also appreciate i did not appreciate like that fear factor like the physical fear but like they get really into it and they are passionate about their um uh, their team and, and uh that quote rivalry if you want to call it a rivalry
2: Senior co-captain Nate James was from the Maryland area, and those games were a homecoming for him. But he knew his family in the stands had to be on high alert, because the Maryland fans were something different from usual partisans.
6: Hey, hey. Crazy, not even coming close to the word, you know, of 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 Coldfield House. And for me, you know, being from the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, you know, going back home playing against a tough Terp team, Coldfield House, you just you just know that the environment is going to be insane. You know, it's a game that you you you, you tell your, your loved ones that uh, they may hear some things. They may have some things thrown at them. Um, just be prepared for something to go down, you know. And those are serious conversations, not even like joking around. They like, say, look, no, uh, mom, this – just dad, just be be an alert, you know, and you know I've I've unfortunately have had you know rumbles in the stands, you know, with with, with my family personally because of things that have occurred, you know, for us coming back and 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 beating them when they thought they had us, and then their fans go you know ballistic and and it becomes chaos. But that's why Cold Fieldhouse for me was the favorite place to play because you really had to you know, make sure you were on top of it because they were going to test you in so many ways. And um, more times than not, you know, leaving with a victory is something that, 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 that happened with me during my playing time.
2: Okay. One more story before we get to the game itself. Carlos Boozer said the craziness of the Maryland fans didn't end at the stadium. Duke even had trouble getting a meal in Maryland. That year. Both teams were very good. They're both, you know, we're competing
0: for titles. There's a lot of pride that goes into it. And and just, just to be very clear, there is a huge rivalry between the players, but there's a much greater rivalry between the fans. And that goes with Carolina and Duke, and that goes with Maryland and Duke. There's a much greater rivalry here with the fans to the point where. You know, you if you're a Duke Blue Devil and you're in D.C. and you go to a restaurant that's a Maryland restaurant, they're not going to serve you. You know what I mean? Same thing okay. in. Right, wait, wait come on. Are you serious? Like you in- I went, me went to a restaurant. I can't remember if it was a roof. It was a steakhouse, and in the in the D.C. area, and they wouldn't serve us because your like
2: your family or the whole team? You
0: no, know, the whole team. We're coming in with our you know our Duke our Duke goodies on. You know, our, obviously we're here to play Maryland. Well, We're not playing anybody else. So they wouldn't serve us. So we left and we had to go somewhere else.
2: All right, enough of the setup, enough of the perspective. It's time for the game itself. The Duke team that was 18-1 and had mostly been blowing out everyone they played was knocked back. Starting wing Mike Dunleavy describes what it was like early in the game against a fired up Maryland team.
7: They recognized us as a major roadblock to getting through what they wanted to as far as winning the ACC and, and beyond. So they were ready for us. They were they were hungry. Their fans were into it. The environment was wild. They, they kind of had our number that game. Um, hit us in the mouth to start. And we, as I recall, we didn't really ever – we hung in there. We never got – I don't think we ever got down more than 13, 14, 15 points, but we never got closer than six or seven. You know, so it was just this – there was a decent gap the whole game, and it, it reflected in the way that Maryland played. They were just playing well. And we, we, we had some moments where we were, All right, we're going to get back in this, we're going to get back in this, and they just kept playing well. And we never could crack that, that, that barrier to, to kind of get within a basket or two. I think the general mindset um, throughout the – you know, as we realized we were – You know, we were taking this team's best punch. We got through halftime, you know, 10 minutes to go in the second half. I think there was just a sense of, you know, we just got to hang around. Let's hang around. Let's hang around. I mean, we certainly believed that we had a mental edge over those guys. um, And it became even more apparent in in our future matchups. But I think it was just a let's, you know, let's be resilient. Let's hang in there. Um, Hopefully these guys will crack at some point. And it it got, we, we took it all the way to the end, that's for sure, in terms of, waiting for them to sort of, to break a little bit. And, um, you know, again, I just, you know, I just remember us hanging, it was a matter of hanging around because we could have gotten, we very easily could have gotten beat by 20 or 25 points if we hadn't just hung in there a little bit to save face and be, be down
6: by 10.
2: I heard the same thing from senior co-captain Nate James. Duke was down, but the team never lost faith.
6: We played that game, they were kicking our butts. But, you know, if you go back and look at the, the, the game and look at all our faces, I mean, we're still locked in. You know, we never uh, believed that we were going to lose that game. And, and that was kind of the mantra throughout the, the, the game. Like, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. All right. Let's 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 even down 10 with a minute to go. You know, we're going to win this game. Let's get a stop. Let's get a score. Stop, stop score. And that's what coaches kept saying. That's what we, we kept saying as players. And, you know, we did it. Though most of the players had faith, I can recall my
2: own feeling while watching that 2001 game at Maryland. I'm not ashamed to admit that I thought Duke was going to lose. I've spoken to many other fans who felt the same way. We hope, we wanna believe a miracle's going to happen, but we sort of know deep down this just isn't going to be our day. I asked Shane Battier if players ever feel the same way. Here's what he said.
3: It's, it's really funny to, to watch players, um, but also teams give up. And again, we, we had a lot of Sun Tzu training from Coach Gay, And he was so big on body language and never showing your opponent poor body language because that gives your opponent tremendous confidence. And all people wanted to see Duke do was just 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 lay down right and had bad body language it's never happened you know we won 131 games and lost 15 in four years and so people just were looking for that look oh look at bad he's defeated and so in that game in the miracle minute coach k not once slumped his shoulders he coached us as hard in the last minute as he did the entire uh the entire game and he never let us have a, a long face. We had to maintain eye contact and energy. And so watching that, that game, I still don't know how we did it. Every time I, I watch the clip of, of that minute in overtime, I'm like, how did we do that? But it started with, with just we never had b- bad body language. You couldn't tell if we were down 10 or if we were up five. We were, we were stoic. And that was, that was the difference in that game.
2: And even though Shane and Coach K had confidence, not all the Blue Devils were so sure. Here's freshman point guard Chris Duhon.
8: Yeah, it was just one of those games where we, you know, everybody wasn't clicking at the same time. Um, And it was, you know, Jay was really, really off. I mean, Steve Blake, um, you know, made it a mission um, that he was going to play. I mean, he played a great game, you know, against us the whole time you know, I was struggling with Juan, Dixon, I now, you know, kind of switching off on him. Um, you know, they were hitting shots, you know, but um, again, like every timeout and stuff like that, coach kept saying, Hey, we're gonna win this game. We're gonna keep like keep fighting, keep grinding, keep grinding. You know, getting to that that last stretch, it was a timeout and Coach, was, you know, saying it again, we're gonna win this game. Now, I mean, I'm a freshman, like, so, you know, in my head, I'm like, come on coach like you know i'm not i'm not at the belief you know and coach like everyone else is like they've been there they have went through wars and stuff with that with them already um i'm thinking that there's no way like they clearly outplayed us you know for most of the game but pretty much all the game like uh like so i'm just kind of like and then again it's you know shane and nate you can just see like the intense like there's I mean, they're just locked in on coach, like shaking their head. And I'm like, okay, all
2: right, cool. And Duhan's backcourt mate, Jason Williams, also told me he was surprised at Coach K's insistence that the team was going to find a way to win.
9: Were you guys resigned? Did you think you were going to lose? Let me ask that. Did you think you were going to lose? I mean, I did, but I remember coming into that huddle and Coach K saying, "We're not going to lose." And I'm like, "What? We're not going to we're not going to lose? What do you mean? We're down double digits here. Uh, um, I mean, I want to win, but I'm not too sure. You know, we can pull this one off." Um, And then Shane said that. Did he did he say that kind of thing often? Was he like, or or did you know? Was it different for him to say, "We're not going to lose"? It was just he had always been a positively focused person, right? Always believing, but there was something really incredible about that moment because you're playing in that arena, which has, I mean, that arena was so different, it was so loud. And the way the stands almost went like on a 75 degree angle up, it felt like, right? So, and, you know, people had thrown stuff at people's parents, it was just it was just that kind of intense um disrespect that you felt fans would say like some pretty gnarly things to you and so you know when you're down in an environment like that and for me like I had played piss poor I played so shitty you don't necessarily believe that you're going to win in that moment you know you're almost preparing yourself for like shit, practice is going to be horrible tomorrow. This is going to be the worst plane ride of all time. Everybody's going to be dead quiet on the plane. Like there was like a funeral, like somebody died. And, but damn, like it, it also was cool because that's how much winning and losing meant, right? Like I've never been a part of an organization where it meant that much to win or lose a game. Like it was taken very seriously. So I was almost in a way preparing myself for that But I think hearing Coach K say that and then hearing Shane echo that command and then hearing guys actually buy into it almost made me, like, more aware in that moment. Like, I wasn't, I was almost drowning myself out in my own misery about how I had played and where we were and how we were going to lose. And all of a sudden, that shit just woke me up. Like, that woke me up. And when Jay Will
2: woke up, that's when the miracle happened. More on that after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devils. When we left off, Duke was down 10 points to Maryland with less than a minute left. The game looked hopeless, but Coach K said, we are going to win. And on our next episode, we will relive every second of the Miracle Minute.
9: And I swipe that and it just bounces off his knee and I just catch it. I don't even know how I catch it. I shoot a three and it's like, oh shit, like, okay.
8: Jay just all of a sudden just, does his thing, like gets a layup, and then next thing you know, gets a steal, hits a three, and they're like, Oh
0: shit, we're down five from like in five seconds, <laughs> like just like that. Our security had to go up in the stands, grab our family, and bring them to a safe place because we're worried about our family being hurt and going to the hospital.
2: From the frantic scramble on court to the celebration in the locker room to the chaos in the stands, all that on the next Return to Glory. Return to Glory is hosted and written by me, Jason Evans. It is a production of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the DBR podcast so you won't miss a single episode. As always, I want to thank the members of the 2001 Duke team for speaking with me. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'll see you next time on Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devils.